That is good. Thank you, guys. Hey, how are y'all doing? Yes! Hooray! Um, man, uh, love you guys. We really do. Uh, my name is Ben. For those of you guys who don't know me, um, and, uh, and I also work here, uh, we really are super glad you're here, man. We hope tonight is a blessing to you. We are expectant for what God's going to do in your life. Uh, that is definitely our prayer that God would um, show up in the preaching of his word and as we worship him and that, uh, and that you would leave and that I would leave uh, changed, that we would fall more in love with Christ and that our life would look more and more like him. Um, a little bit of business too. Uh, I'm going to get to kind of preach this, this um, kind of one-off sermon on kind of whatever I wanted to do because we finished up our series last week. We brought in old Papa T, Ted Kitchens, to come and wrap up Revelations with us, uh, which was a blast. I got fired. I, I did some... <laughs> Yeah, funny, yeah, real funny. Uh, I got my job back. I had some blackmail stuff that I was able to utilize for my advantage. I got my job back. Um, and so tonight, I'm just going to get to preach on whatever my heart beats fast for. And then the next two weeks, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Josh Story is going to be up here preaching two back-to-back weeks. And uh, I love that. I'm, I, I still believe Josh is one of the best communicators in the city. And so to, to get to see him unpack and where we're going is going to be cool. I'm going to show up with like a legal pad ready to take notes because it's going to be legit. So that's where we're going for the next few weeks. But tonight, um, tonight we're going to look at something that if you are in Christ, um, and by that I mean you put your faith in Jesus, uh, you've surrendered your life to Christ, then we're all called to do this thing called evangelism. Um, and I'm going to unpack why and are we sure about that and, and what that looks like. And evangelism is this word talking about the idea of proclaiming who Christ is, what he's done, sharing that uh, with the world around us, evangelizing uh, the world around us. And so really kind of unpacking what that looks like, how we do that, um, but it's a, it's a huge topic to, um, to, to tackle in one night. And so this is going to be kind of a a skip off the pond in that. I still hope it's a, a big blessing. But I'm gonna tell a story, and those of you who have been walking with me for a while have heard me tell the story probably plenty of times. Um, and it's about my cousin who worked at Starbucks. Um, and uh, he worked at Starbucks for a long time, and my cousin loves Jesus. Loves Jesus. He's actually uh, in a Christian band, right? Like a cool, he's in the afters. There's like four people in this room that know who the afters are. And so he's like, more than four? 12 people? Okay, one person, and then that's my wife who clapped. So two people. Um, and so, uh, and so he, you know, he's a Christian, right? He loves the Lord. He's given his life to Christ. Worked at Starbucks uh, when he wasn't doing music stuff. This was a while back. And, uh, and he worked at Starbucks with this girl who definitely just was not, uh, was not where he was in her faith. She just, she didn't believe in God. She wasn't sure what to do with all that. Um, and was really honest and intelligent. I love, I love so often people's objections. Sometimes they're very emotional. Sometimes they're very uh, intellectual objections that maybe they haven't gotten to walk with Christians in a way that they've heard some really, really great logical reasons of, of why we believe what we believe also. Um, and so, so she wasn't a believer. And this guy walked into Starbucks when they were working, and he was evangelizing, right? Like he was, I mean, he was just laying it on thick and ordering coffee, and it's like, oh, this coffee's really hot, just like hell. Where are you going? Are you going to hell? Like just, just like the, uh, the worst tactic every, every place and, you know, and just really, and, and she's like, well, I don't really believe and, and all that stuff and just really pushing back and really like, well, if you don't believe, you're going to hell and you're gonna burn and like throwing coffee on her. He didn't do that. But, you know, just, just really dramatic evangelism and, and coming from this really passionate place and, and it really shook her and she was like, what in the world? She was flustered and he leaves and she was really genuinely flustered. 
And she, she really started to wrestle with this through the rest of her shift and was really wrestling with this idea of like, could, could I really be going to hell? Like, could I really be separated from God for all eternity, separated and, and in this horrible place of removing myself from all that is good, all that is God, and, and be in hell for eternity. And, and it, really, it really got under her skin, and she, she's wrestling with it, and she's like, man. And so my cousin and another guy who worked there who was a Christian, they were like, whoa, like, as, as weird as that strategy of this guy who just came on super strong while offering her coffee and is saying some really bold, offensive stuff, as strong as he came on, she's really processing through some stuff. And she's really starting to ask some questions and like really wrestling. And so they are like kind of praying and they're like, man, let's pray. And like maybe God's really gonna use this and it's gonna be a springboard to something. So they're praying for her. And she goes home, kind of, she leaves and she's kind of flustered and they're praying for her. The next day she comes back to her shift and, or at least the next time they're working together and she's glowing, right? She's, she's beaming and she's just happy as can be and like, man, not a care in the world. And, uh, and so my cousin's thinking, oh, okay, what happened? So he approaches her. He's like, hey, what happened, you know, that guy and talking about hell and heaven and all that kind of stuff. What, what are your thoughts? And she's like, oh, yeah. You know, I thought about it a lot that night. And I realized, I realized there is no way I'm going to hell. And he's like, why? My cousin asked that. And she said, because I have been working with you and this other guy who's a Christian for a year. We're friends. We're close. We are really close. We love each other. And if I was going to hell, if I was destined for hell, sometime in the last year, you surely would have brought that up for me. And that was her confidence that she was separated from God and that wasn't a big deal. And obviously, my cousin, that hit hard. Because he realized his apathy through this last year, his passivity towards sharing hard truth with this, this person who had become a, a dear friend of his was communicating something that would, would rob her if, if not corrected and if not uh, encountered properly. And so it was this really, really humbling, almost embarrassing moment for him that he really struggled with. And, um, and I would love to say the story has a really happy ending, and I don't know where, what the story is. Um, but here's the thing. Our apathy really does communicate something. And there's forms of evangelism, if I'm real honest. There's forms of sharing Christ and, and, and what Christians believe and sharing truth of Scripture in a way that I, if I'm honest, I can't stand, right? That if I'm just really honest and in my narrow and I would say even arrogant perspective, I look at and think, ah, oh, that doesn't work. That's not effective. Ah, oh, that frustrates me and I don't, I don't like that. That's not my style. That's not my preference. However, I do know that I am called if I am saved and, and called according to his purpose, I am called to be bold and walk that out in, in my life, walk out my faith, what I believe. And so let me, um, let me expand, however, on the definition of this idea of evangelism. In Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission. Some of you guys know this. We're going to go through it. And it is this kind of central um, command that Jesus gives that's incredibly significant. And we're going to throw it up on the screen for you if you want to read along there. But in Matthew 28, it's the last chapter of the first gospel in the New Testament. And it's the story of Jesus going through what he, he went through and who he is and his crucifixion and his resurrection. And now in the last chapter, this is what happens. This is what he says. This is his command that's so, so important for us to hear, and it shapes our theology and our missionology, if we understand it properly. Verse 16 in, in chapter 28 says this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right there. Jesus is proclaiming throughout this entire book of Matthew who he is, showing who he is, showing the genealogy in chapter one of who Jesus is in the line that he was, who he said he was. He is the savior of the world. He is the one who has the power and authority to die for our sins, raise again, and now stand next to God, interceding on our behalf, whispering, she's mine, he is mine, right? That is who God is. And so he is saying now, in this last chapter of this book, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is a mic drop statement. Um, Let me illustrate to a little bit of kind of what this looks like. Whenever somebody, uh, whenever you're going through life and you run into somebody, it's like, okay, they've got authority in this area. That should produce a level of confidence or a level of fear connected to that. Um, Stay with me on this, but I got an illustration. Last year in Belize, those who went, we played a game in the pool called Tyler Ball. Yeah. There were some audible gasps just then because, uh, you know, people's lives were destroyed. Um, it, was a, it was a sad game. There was a lot of division that happened, uh, a lot of arguments that happened. Tyler Ball was named Tyler after one of my favorite people, Tyler Durham, the professor, as we call him. Uh, he's a pastor here. A lot of you guys know him. He's incredible. And he invented a game, and then we called it Tyler Ball because he invented it. It's essentially, you know when you're a little kid and you, like, hit the balloon and you keep it off the ground, right? Like, don't let the balloon touch the ground. It's that but in a pool, right? So it's the simplest game ever, right? It's like a juvenile concept. However, there's all these nuances of rules of, like, well, you can't hit it this many times or it was too close to this person or it's out of arm's length. And so the elimination process of it really just came down to whoever Tyler said was out. Right, And so really it became this competitive game, but at the end of the day, Tyler was always in the finals and usually always winning because all authority in the pool was given to him because we were playing a game by his very name, Tyler Ball. It was a horrible thing. It was a really bad experience. A lot of people left the faith, but it illustrates, <laughs> it illustrates my point perfectly in the sense of it was Tyler Ball. He gets to make up the rules. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, stood on a mountain in front of his 11 disciples who had been faithful, and said, look, me, Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am now the creator of this. I am now the one who has all authority. So because of that, we should have this level of, oh man, that is a huge, huge statement, especially for what he's about to command them to do. So the very next verse, verse 19, having in context, Jesus is saying, he is all authoritative. Here's his command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is awesome. That is the great commission, as it's called in Matthew 28. And it's this picture of Jesus giving this command. We have walked together for three years. Now go and build the church. Build the church of the New Testament. Go and take this gospel, this good news, who I am, everywhere. Spread it throughout the nations to the furthest parts of the earth, which, if we think about it, a mountain in Israel, pretty much one of the furthest places would probably now be a a town in Texas, right? And so this gospel has spread throughout the world, is still continuous, right? Is still a mantle missionaries are, are carrying throughout the world, baptizing, teaching, and who he will be with us. And there's so much here. There's so much in just the passage of the Great Commission that we can unpack and we're not gonna have time to. 
get to all of it. But I want us to look at this commandment of making disciples. Go and make disciples. It has these con- this, this concept of baptizing people, right? This idea of surrender, teaching them. And then Jesus, who, remember, has all authority, will be with us. And, and, and I would make the argument here that discipleship and to make disciples, especially in the context when Jesus is saying this, it's this idea that is connected to evangelism also. The reason we don't see the word evangelism a lot in the New Testament is because discipleship and evangelism are one and the same in so many contexts. Because it isn't a churched world yet. The gospel hasn't spread. So anytime they go and make a disciple, they're starting from square one of, we want to share with you the basic truths of who God is and what he's done. And so that's what they're commissioned to do. That's what they're called to do, sent out to do. Uh, And we are called to make disciples in the Christian life. So we talk about this a lot. Um, Here in this ministry, we talk about a lot. If, If you are following Jesus obediently, if you say, man, I am following Christ, then you should be making disciples. Maybe that looks like, you know, you're talking to people who are far from God, they're distant from the Lord, they don't want to have anything to do with him, and you're walking them towards some level of truth. Maybe it's somebody who is a spiritual seven on the meter, whatever that means, and and you're challenging them to be a spiritual eight. Whatever that looks like, we are called, if we're obedient to following Christ, then we should be making disciples. That was what his ministry was for three years, was disciple-making, doing life with people, pointing them more and more towards who he is. And we're also given this incredibly confident building promise that he will be with us. So there's so much here, like I said, there's all these questions of, well, what's it look like to teach? What are we supposed to teach them? Uh, What are the nuances to that? How do we teach and disciple? What does baptism and surrender look like? But here's what I want to camp out on tonight. And just the last part of our time here, I, I want us to camp out on this one big idea. What's it look like to walk in the Spirit What's it look like that he will be with us? What's it look like to walk in the spirit in a way that draws others to Christ? What's it look like to walk in the spirit in a way that maybe draws others more to Christ? What does that look like in our life? 2 Corinthians is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. I'm gonna throw it up on the, the screen. Verse 14 says this, but thanks be to God, this is the apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, right? So here's that confidence again, right? We see this kind of confidence again. We saw it in the Great Commission. We see it now in 2 Corinthians chapter two that God is going to be victorious. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in this triumphal procession. He is leading us. He will bring about the victory. He is doing this. And through us spreads this fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And that idea of fragrance is going to come in here a lot. So verse 15, here is a picture of evangelism in this next verse. Here's a picture of evangelism in a way I want to challenge you guys tonight to see the concept of evangelism. Right? If you could walk out of here and for, for the Lord to have taken chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians and starting to shape a little bit what it looks like for you to walk in the spirit in a way that challenges others to love Jesus more and more and more, then that would be a win. So it's a way of witnessing. It's a way of being a fragrance and aroma. Listen, verse 15. For we, talking about those who are believers, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Let me unpack that for a second. Um, We're gonna spend most of our time just related to this verse right here. This idea of an aroma 
of Christ. Uh, we should be this reminder, this aroma to the world around us. For those of you, you guys in this room who are professed Christians, you've said, man, I've surrendered my life in Christ. I'm here because I love him and I want more of him and I want to get connected to community that's in love with him and all of those things. Then you should be able to self-identify what I'm called to be then is to be a witness, to be an aroma, to be a reminder to the world around me who God is. And to those who have experienced the grace of God or who the, the Spirit is calling to experience that grace of God, then that is going to be a sweet, sweet, sweet aroma. From, from those who are experiencing life to life, but those who are experiencing death to death, it's going to be an offensive thing. And what we believe, the gospel, what we believe is that we are sinners, that we are all sinners, and we have, we have come up short, and we have, we have spit in the face of a holy and worthy God, and that our just punishment is God's wrath. And the world around us, that what we deserve, the broken, lost world around us, including our own sin, deserves God's wrath. That's what scripture tells us. That's what the Bible teaches us, that we should be partakers in his wrath, separated from God. And yet for some reason, those who have put their faith in Christ, he says, this is, this is grace for you now. And you now have grace. However, for those who are not in Christ and don't want to have anything to do with Christ and aren't in a place to be able to see and hear and receive that, it's offensive. It's really offensive. Like the story for the girl in Starbucks, she's offended. Well, I would go to hell. I'm not that bad of a person. It's offensive to think my sin is great enough to separate me from God. It's what we believe. It's what Scripture teaches. We have to wrestle with that. We have to come to that place and, and wrestle. Do we really believe that we deserve separation? If we don't believe we need saving, we don't really need a Savior. Let me illustrate this this way. Um, <clears throat> I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. I talk about him a lot. His name is Charlie. I got a picture of him. There he is, right? Flowers for mom. He is, he is awesome. This kid is ridiculous. Um, I actually, I had Danielle. I was like, hey, go through and get like a cute picture of, of Charlie because she's got all the cute pictures of him. And, uh, and I also found this video. Can I, this is, has nothing to do with my sermon. I'm gonna show you a video of my son for 20 seconds. Is that cool? Look at his stank face. Look at that. Not again. He said, not again. Here he goes. He's about to unleash. I got to get your moves. Bring it in. Bring it in. Yes. <laughs> He's got this like just stank face, right? When he dances or when he plays. If you guys ever do sports, he came to sports this last Sunday. When he runs, he just runs with like, I'm so intense. I'm dancing to Prince songs in the car. I'm so intense. And then you see him. He's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm having fun. No, no, I'm going to kill people. Like he's intense again. Uh. Yeah, I just showed that because it was cute. I didn't have a purpose. I just was on the phone, and I was like, oh, I got to show that. It's hilarious. Can we see that one more time? Will you play that one more time? <laughs> Look at that face. Get it. Get it, Charlie. He's tired of being recorded, so he says, not again, Mom. No more. Not again. Not again. Yeah, she doesn't care. Here he goes. About to, here we go. Turn, bring it in. Yes. Okay, that's good. Thanks. Uh, all right, what was I talking about? Jesus. Okay, so, <laughs> sorry. So, here's the thing. 
awesome son, right? Awesome son. Uh, I love this kid. He's so fun. The other day, you can take that off the screen. She shouldn't distract me. Um, the other day, he, uh, we were at my parents' house. They live next door, and we're watering their plants. They're out of town. And so we were watering their plants, and, um, and we were heading back over because Danielle had texted and said, hey, dinner's ready. And so we were going to head back over for dinner. This was maybe two or three weeks ago. And I said, hey, mom's got dinner ready. Let's head back for dinner. Um, and he said this. He said, um, he said, I want to sit next to my beautiful wife. That's, that's what my three-and-a-half-year-old said. And I go, uh, excuse me, what would you say? And he said, he said I want to sit next to my beautiful wife at dinner. And I was like, uh, you don't have a beautiful wife. He was like, yeah, I do. It's mama. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's my beautiful wife. And so we had this argument walking back to the house. He's like, no, that's my beautiful wife. And so we had this whole fight. I grounded him, no dinner. How, how dare he try to swoop in and steal my girl. Um, and, and now he's on this thing where he, he comments on Danielle as his beautiful wife, which, is, which I like. It would be weird if he's still doing that high school age, right? Like there's going to be a line where that becomes really bizarre and inappropriate. Uh, but at three and a half, it's cute, right? It's really cute and it's precious. And so here's the thing. I love that. I love that. And here's why I love it. Because my wife is beautiful, right? Because my wife is this just incredibly beautiful person. Um, and my son gets to see that and gets to see how I get to communicate about that. And you guys, those of you who know her, and she'll, she'll come to renovate a lot of times whenever we get babysitters, it's usually in an evening whenever like, she like, got a shower that day, which, was, which honestly is a big victory in the Fuqua house. If either parent gets a shower, it's like, wow, we got a shower. That happens a couple times a week. And, uh, and so maybe she gets a shower and she got to do her hair and she walks in and it's radiant beauty and it's great, right? But, but the version that, that I get to see too is, and, and my son is growing up around, is this woman who's in her pajamas most of the day, right? And not getting a shower, right? And maybe has like baby food on her clothes because she's taking care of a nine-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old and she is making disciples. And she is pouring her life out, pouring her life out changing the lives of these two men who are gonna change the world. And she is changing the world by just spending her life and, and then also investing in other women and speaking truth into my life and all of these other things that she's constantly juggling, but so much of her time is spent making these disciples who are in phases of discipleship that is impossibly difficult and hard and diapers and messes and discipline and teaching them what it looks like to be godly and teaching why discipline is important and teaching and all of those things. And it is beautiful and she is beautiful. And so the fact that I get to speak that out and the fact that my three and a half year old says she is beautiful and he starts to identify that is what beautiful is. That is what beautiful is. And I get to get to be a, a proclaimer of that. Someone who gets to be there proclaiming and speaking about that. And that's not because I'm a sweet Let's not go down the road of like, oh, that's a sweet guy. He's a sweet husband. It's because of who God has said she is. Because God has set her value as she is beautiful. Because the creator of the universe has done that and done this work. And then those who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, they connect to that and see that and see truth in that. And I get to see that and get to be a partaker. Me, this idiot husband, because of the grace of God living inside me, he reminds me and gets to show me that. Right? That's, that's what we get to be a part of. And so... This awesome, awesome thing, I get to proclaim she is beautiful. And then this youngest disciple, second youngest disciple in our house, this three-and-a-half-year-old, 
then picks up on that and says, that's what beauty looks like. She is a beautiful wife. And it's awesome. And I just get to wear my attraction on my sleeve. Oh, that we would have those kind of affections for Jesus. Oh, that we would be Christians, those who are Christians in this room, who have that kind of affection and attraction to Jesus and wear it on our sleeve. Who are so in love and stare at Jesus and look at Jesus and spend time and surrender to Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us pointing us to who he is, who he is, who he is in a way in our culture where we live that out on our sleeve. And the culture around us looks at us and there is an aroma about us because we are so in love with Jesus Christ because we see and are blown away with his beauty because we see and are blown away with the grace that we see from the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And it changes us and it impacts us and it changes what music we listen to and how we interact in traffic and how we interact with people who have hurt us because we have experienced this grace that is profound and life-changing. Oh, that we would be those people. And I think that image is an image of what it looks like to be the aroma of Christ, to be a culture, to be a part of evangelism in a way where we step out and love Jesus more and more and more and wear it on our sleeve. And yes, speak boldly. Speak truth boldly. and Be offensive at times. That's our call. That's what it should look like, the aroma of Christ. Look at this next verse. Who is sufficient for these things? What a great question, because what a huge task before us. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity. Man, that's, that's so important. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Man, it is Christ working through us that is going to give us that. We could fake it and muster it up enough rhetoric and, and, and fancy words and say the right thing and, you know, Whenever we're, whenever we're driving down, oh, here's a non-Christian friend, let's turn on the Christian radio station and roll down the windows. and bla- We can fake it, or we can be men and women of sincerity who have been changed and who our, our perspective of evangelism is driven by, am I in love with Jesus? Am I falling more and more and more in love with Jesus? Is my affection and my heart being stirred for the Lord? And then I'm wearing that on my sleeve and I'm sharing with people and I'm being bold about it. Here is uh, kind of what I was thinking, and this obviously is projected in my own life a lot, but um, if that's not happening, and here's where I'm going to land the plane, if that's not happening in your life, here are the reasons why. These, these are the reasons I could think of, and certainly in my life. If that's not happening, that level of being an aroma of Christ in your life, or at least it's not where you would like it for it to be, here, here's why maybe it's not happening. One, it's because you don't know him, right? Like that, there's a possibility that maybe that's not happening in your life because for you, Christianity was uh, just a religion, uh, some, some sort of culture to be a part of, um, a theological kind of checklist to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe, I'm a, I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian, I'm a, you know, whatever that looks like, and you just kind of go down the list, I'm a Texan, right, and it all kind of fits together in this nice, cute package, right, and, and maybe it's that you don't, maybe it's that you don't actually know Jesus, that you haven't actually been saved, that you haven't surrendered your life to Christ in a saving way and been filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it'd be really cowardice for me to just fly by without at least saying, man, let's check our hearts. And if you're here and you know you're here and you're in that place, praise God that you're here. 
I love that you're here. You're in the right place. You can continue to belong and be a part of this. My hope is that you would fall more and more in love with Jesus. I don't have the words. Casey, Brett, Lena, they're not gonna hit the right notes that are gonna do it, or we're not gonna sing the right words on the screen that are gonna do it. Our, our prayer is that you would come face to face with Jesus. We think that's gonna happen through the word of God, through truth, but that's gonna be a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, the gospel is that you, it's not religion, what you sign up for with following Christ. To be saved isn't a religious affiliation. It's a recognition that I deserve God's wrath, but the one, God's only son who lived a perfect life, he died. He died, he took on the punishment that we deserve and rose again, and if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that good news, that gospel of Jesus Christ, and I put my faith and surrender to him, he is my hope. And then the Holy Spirit comes and starts to do this new work in us, and we continue to follow and look more and more like him and go down this journey, but we are saved once and for all with that. Here's another aspect of, of maybe why this isn't happening. Maybe you've been saved, but you remain ignorant to your calling, right? So I was thinking, okay, maybe it's you are saved, the Holy Spirit is in you, you have submitted your life to Christ, but when you think about what evangelism looks like in your life and why it's not really happening and why you're not necessarily the aroma of Christ in the world around you, maybe it's just because you're ignorant to that part of your calling. Man, you show up, you do the church thing, you're a part of a home group maybe, you're a good Christian, you follow the rules to, to please God, right? Not necessarily to earn his favor, but maybe it's genuinely because you desire to please him out of response for what he's shown you, which is great. But this idea of you now going outside of your comfort zone, going to these places, having conversations that are awkward, putting yourself in a place that you could be persecuted or embarrassed or lose friends or all, all of these things, lose promotions, all these other things, you think, well, is that really a part? And so maybe you're just ignorant to that as part of your call. The thing that sucks about Renovate is now you're not. And so now you can't be ignorant anymore because you just heard that that's a part of your call. You are called to go and make disciples, to go and share, to be a witness. Throughout the pages of the New Testament, you're called to do that, to speak boldly, to proclaim that, to be a light in a dark place, to not be hidden under, to not be a lamp hidden under a, a basket. So no longer can we use the excuse of, oh, I just didn't know. So here, here's the other one. There's two more. You've been saved by him, praise God. You've been saved, but you're selfish. And this was an easy one for me to come up with because this is my life so often. Um, saved, I know the gospel. I know that I'm called to be this light, this aroma, but I'm selfish. I don't want to do that. I want to do what I want to do. And what I want to do a lot of times doesn't look like going out on a limb and doing that or, or, or putting myself in a place where I'm going to have this awkward conversation. Or, and so because of that, I'm, it's rooted in selfishness. I, the truth is I care more about my comfort than I do about being obedient to what God has called me to do. And that in itself should be so convicting. And I think that can be paralyzing if I'm not careful to say, all right, Lord, give me, give me the strength today to be obedient, right? I don't, I don't need to be Billy Graham. I just give me the strength right now to be obedient, to say, Lord, give me, you are, are living inside me. I'm walking in your spirit. I desire to do that more and more, digging in your word, looking at you more and more and more so that I might have my affections stirred Sitting down, finding a place, even in your quiet time, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but what does that time look like? What's that time look like for you? 
Are, are you getting in the word of God in a way that stirs your affections, right? I'm a nighttime guy. For me, it's in the evening because morning quiet times for me are like, uh, drool and there's, it's awful and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen. And so I try to give some of the beginning of my day to him. But man, the n- nighttime is when my brain really starts going and my prayer life and all of those things late at night when nobody else wants me or needs me. It's just me and Jesus. And it's a sweet time, right? Maybe for you it's morning. Maybe it's finding those spots that your affections are stirred for. Um, and then here's, here's the last one. You're saved, but you're just not equipped. You're saved, you love the Lord, but maybe you are dissatisfied with where you are in this process of being an aroma to Christ that we're commanded and and challenged to be. You're just not sure how to do that. What does that look like? How do you do that? You don't have the answers. You don't feel like you have the answers to share. Um, So there's two things I want to talk about with that. One is um, there is a level of that. I, I would say, let me put the mantle on you. You have a responsibility as a disciple, as someone who is following Christ, and again, I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in this room, you have a responsibility to stop being a consumer and, and say, if, if you're not being equipped, if you're not growing, you're not challenged, then go and be challenged. Go and find the places where you are challenged. Grab hold of the relationships that you need to, to be challenged. Grab the books, grab the sermons, grab the podcasts, grab the relationships, grab the home groups to be a part of, to say, man, let's challenge each other, let's hold each other accountable in this way. You are responsible for your spiritual growth. Ultimately, you are going to be responsible for your spiritual growth, and I think so often we are in a culture, even the education system, in a lot of ways where it's like, well, you sit there and we're going to teach you. The church, you come on Sunday, you come on Wednesday, you're going to get extra supplemental growth. You go to a home group, you're going to dig in a little deeper, and you just sit there and be consumers, and we're going to feed and feed and feed you. Man, you've got to take responsibility for your own growth, and if you're dissatisfied with feeling like, man, I'm not equipped, then what are you doing about it? How are you raising your hand? How are you asking others for help? You are responsible for that. Having said that, um, my desire as a leader and and our desire as a staff here is we want to help equip you. And and I'm going to be real honest and transparent. I, I think we're failing at it. I think by the grace of God, I think I look at the staff around me and I'm blown away with how gifted they are. But I look at the mantle that I've been given in a lot of ways, and I think, man, this isn't, this isn't where I want it to be. Right? Even just real tangibly as a ministry, what we want renovated, how, man, I love what's happening on Wednesday nights, and people are falling more in love with Jesus and getting connected and, and some of the home groups, and it's awesome. But we as a church want to do a better job equipping you. And me as a leader and a head of a ministry want to do a better job of equipping you. And if you are taking responsibility for, I am going to own my own discipleship, great. Then that's going to work really well alongside us who we want to feed you. We want to equip you. And so that's our goal. We've been talking about it as a staff, um, praying about it. And uh, we're going to take a break during July. And when we relaunch uh, Renovate, uh, what we want to do is we want to raise up leaders who are the aroma of Christ. And that's our goal. And that our primary call would be to step into what I would say specifically for the last two years of this ministry, which God has done crazy awesome things. It's grown and grown and grown and people are coming to know Jesus and it's awesome, but we are not satisfied with where we are. And the next step really is to say who wants to be a leader and we want to equip those people. Um, Real tangibly, real practically, we want to raise up leaders and then really spend resources, time, energy, 
in really making sure those of you who raise your hand to say, yes, I'm a leader. And that doesn't just mean serving in these incredible behind-the-scenes ways uh, on Wednesday nights or, or leading home. It, it means you being the aroma of Christ. That's what we mean. That's what we're looking for. We, um, we're doing this thing. There's these cards on the board out here. There's three boards, connect with us, serve with us, and uh, grow, with, grow with us. On the serve board, um, there's this little card, and you take it and you fill it out, and it's a leader application. Um, what we want to do this summer, um, what we want to do this summer is we want to sit down and meet with everyone who says, hey, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader. I want to step into that. And again, what we mean when we say we want you to be a leader, we mean we want you to be the aroma of Christ. Whatever that concept, maybe, that, maybe you're a realtor and that looks like in, in your real estate office and the people you come in contact. Maybe it's in some capacities connected to this church, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's out in the world and you work at Trader Joe's or you, you are a college student or your family member. You want to be a, a leader. You want to move towards Christ more and more and more. We want to equip you. And so we want to sit down with everyone who says, man, I'm in. And so during the summer, we're kind of slowing down ministry stuff because we want to meet one-on-one with you and see how has God wired you? What is your shape? What does that look like? How can we equip you? What does next year look like so that we can walk alongside you so that we might push you more and more to be the aroma of Christ? Because I believe that's our mantle also as a church, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's the purpose of the church, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that you are then the aroma of Christ in the city of Fort Worth, begging for revival so that God might be more glorified in this city and in this place. And that's our desire and that's our heart. And so real tangibly, I just want you to know that's the direction we're going. Grab these, fill out a leadership application. Sometime between now and the beginning of August, we're gonna sit down with you. Those who have already served so freaking faithfully, right? And, And put up with our trying to figure out how to do this ministry for the last couple of years. And you've served and you served and you haven't complained. We wanna meet with you too and say, okay, thank you. Thank you for being, how do we pour into you more and more and more? That's where we're going. We love you as a family, and we want to do that better and better. Um, that is not a plug. We don't care. The, we, our call is to equip people. So these, this is one of our mechanisms to try to do that. Fill out a leadership app, go online, it's real easy, and then sit down with us and walk through what that looks like for you and, and let us help equip you. Uh, the responsibility is yours, but we want to come alongside you. We want you to look more and more like Jesus. We want you to fall more in love with him. It's gonna be a work of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the power to do it. Josh, Michael, we don't have the power to do that. Um, but, uh, but that's our hope and that's our prayer to beg, beg for the Holy Spirit to do that. Man, let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Um, you loved us first and we're so grateful, God. I, just, I praise you, Lord, for this ministry. I really do. Um, God, thank you for what you're doing here. In the last couple of years, what you've been doing here and um, where you're taking us as a community. And God, would we continue as kind of this semester starts to wind down, Lord, and we've got a few more weeks left, that, um, that Father, we'd just be really obedient, um, that we'd be obedient with how you are calling us to live. Um, God, the truth is we want our affections stirred. Um, I, I think also I'm speaking from a place of a, a man and a generation that wants instant gratification, I want, I want to play the right song and that's gonna stir my affections. I wanna hear the right song on the radio or I wanna hear the right sermon or the right combination of words that's just gonna instantly stir my affections and then I'm good. Instead, Lord, would you teach us what it looks like to be mature and steadfast, planted in, in the spiritual disciplines of meeting with you on a daily basis and sitting and reading your word and that 
our affections would be stirred from those places of steadfast pursuit and not jumping from worship service to worship service. God, we have so much maturing to do, Lord. Would we look honestly at ourselves? Um, would, we, would we really be transparent with not only ourselves as a ministry, but each of us individually and where you're calling us to, to go and yet where we are right now and the journey to get there, Father, is obedience. And yet, and yet we have this confidence because you go with us. Jesus, all heaven and earth has been given as a, you are authority over all of that. And you go with us. And so this journey for us to look more and more like you and be uh, a source of revival in this city and in this church and in this place and this community, uh, it's not on us, it's on you. Would we surrender to that? In the name of Jesus, amen.